Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I, of course, am Tom, the Mighty One, Son of Hercules, Bionic. Oh, boy. I was not going to give away uh, a hint as to our uh, our guest uh, theme music this week, mm. but uh, we'll see if people can put two and two together there. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed a little difference uh, this week. Just trying to spice stuff up a little bit. Yeah. And you all have to hear us drone on and on every week. We're, we're so glad you're back with us this week, the Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Um, before we make some quick announcements, um, you had an eventful week this week, uh, Brother Tom? Yeah, man. I'll tell you what, man. It's been awesome. You know? The emails I'm getting, a lot of people are praying for you. It's cool, man. About well, the work scenario and stuff like that. Yeah. Any updates for listeners? Well, I got a, I got like a, I got like a little job just to kind of pay the bills and stuff mm-hmm. and all that. But um, the cool thing has been is sort of all the ministry stuff that's went on, like me pinballing around. Uh, uh, I went down to the local community college to, to sign up for a class mm-hmm. and ended up getting in a, in a debate with a, uh, with a Mormon missionary. Whoa. Really? Yeah, right there in the computer lab. Yeah? And uh, I, I don't think it went well for either party because, yeah. you know, we weren't. I, I ended up getting too fired up. And, Did you call fire down from heaven? No, but she did. She did fall over dead. Did she? Okay. Did one of those Ananias things. Man, I heard the wildest story from a missionary. This dude, this dude was out telling people about Jesus in Indonesia. Yeah. And he he used to have been a prize fighter, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, then he got saved and he gave up all that stuff and was out there doing missionary work. And you know, this witch doctor said, "I want to, you know, I want to come out here and fight you and kill you." Mm -hmm. You know. So he went out, and the Lord says. Yeah, you don't do any more fighting. I fight your battles now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we went outside and picked up a little stool and sat down. And he sits down in front of the witch doctor and says, The Lord fights for me now. And all of a sudden the dude like couldn't talk and couldn't breathe and started turning blue and fell over dead over the course of about six minutes. And the entire village came to like look at this. And then he was like, Hmm. There's a couple hundred people here. Well, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should preach to them. Yeah. And uh, you know. So he didn't terrorize them too, and then like take their money or anything. That was the second step. Oh, okay. Yeah. You no. get a parlay that power, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord, man. Yeah. That's... That was wild. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, man, there was. Uh, uh, I prayed for. I prayed somebody was having. Uh, having problems, you know, they were kind of like seeing stuff around their house, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just, uh, it was wild. I prayed for him, and it all kind of cleared it all up. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, I know that I'm missing like ten things. You've told me this week, this even with some job opportunities and things, you've had all sorts of opportunities for well ministering to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not exactly the job opportunities I'd want. But it's been. But while you were around people, yeah. While you're around people, opportunities came up just with people you're around. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing that I'm praying, I you know, people used to pray like, "Get me out of this mess," you know, mm-hmm. and I still pray that. But I also pray, Lord, put me into those crucial situations where, like, people are going to need to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And um, I don't care if it's like an overturned, 
overturned car and the dude's face is laying on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. Dude, that guy, if there's a guy who needs to hear about Jesus like right now, it's mm-hmm. it's him. Like so. Victor ran into. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Did you finally listen to that? Oh, yeah. Listen to Victor's Pretty testimony. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My brother used to always have that scenario where he was always the first His on a car accident. On the dashboard? Saying, well, it's some guy member whose face was all peeled back, you mm-hmm. know, and trying to keep him alive yeah. down with us and... Well, I've kind of been praying for like that. Uh, yeah, I've been praying to be put in those situations, and um, like it's like radical, man. It's like mm-hmm. I prayed for this dude who used to be uh, a channeler, like a you know mm-hmm. channeler guy, and uh, he said it really helped him and he cleared it right up. And another guy I prayed with, um, you know, uh, he was having sort of spiritual problems and he couldn't like think straight in the mornings. It was kind of mm-hmm. it was weird, you know. And I prayed for him. He said, man, it was like the best year, best time I've had in, in weeks, hmm. you know, weeks, maybe months, hmm. like totally focused, like there was no type of anything. So the word for our Futurians out there is ministry opportunities are all around that are ideally suited for whatever we, whatever our feeble abilities are. Uh-huh. If we just say, God, I'm willing to be ready for him today if you want to make yep. them, yep. make them available to it's me. It's totally, man, it's cool. Yeah, even today. Even today, I got to talk to a guy uh, who was he was all into the the Anunnaki mm-hmm. and uh, Nibiru and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. we were riding around in a car, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "All right, man, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Mm-hmm. This is it." And kind of laid it all out, and he was like, "Whoa!" Mm-hmm. And uh, it's talked. About, it's it's like the Bible says, having a ready answer mm-hmm. to the things of today, and mm-hmm. that's why. It's, you know, I recognize some of these issues are really touchy for a lot of pastors to touch behind the pulpit. And it might interrupt other kind of important things they need to do at the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But if we're not going to hear some of these topics talked about there, mm-hmm. we at least need to have shows like ours and many others like ours to be able to bring these things up and have Christians go look in the Bible mm-hmm. and try to find answers. Yeah. Because people want answers for this stuff and they'll go find it in a new age or something else, you know, for, for what's going on. So mm-hmm. it's just... Exciting to hear. It's cool, man. Somebody, like, while I was sweeping the floors, you know, this uh, good good friend of mine called me needing some emergency prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, just got a just got a text message. Everything went well. So Praise the Lord. Yeah. It's like, it's good, man. Praise the Lord. It's like all sorts of cool stuff is happening. Well, I want to say a few thank yous to our Futurians. Uh, Especially uh, the ones who, who bought books. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adam uh, in Ohio bought a couple sets of the uh, couple of the frightening books, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. And I actually did something unique. And this, I'll mention this for anybody else. I, I got a few more frightening books because we were out while they were still available. We still have a few more. Mm-hmm. But I went and put our new Future Quake bumper stickers. We have two new versions. Sweetness, yeah, they're Brother, awesome. Brother Bob, Futurian Bob made for us. Yep. I stuck those in there. So if you want uh, a couple of very uniquely designed. Future Quake stickers are more like window sticker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just order Frightening Book. Um, the book Pandemonium's Engine that was just published a couple weeks ago about transhumanism has like 20 different authors. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris Putnam and a bunch of other people you'll know right mm-hmm. in that, famous people. I have a chapter in there about prophecy and Nimrod. It's a 59-page mm-hmm. chapter, so my regular long-winded discourse. But I went on and ordered a case of those today in case anybody wants them, so I'll try to put something on the website. Uh, if you're interested in that, too. And a lot of our listeners are really keen on prophecy stuff, and so I take a little kick at that. Um, and, and also I appreciate Brother Joshua. He made a donation uh, this week. And also to uh, Brother Michael, Micah, 
who actually bought one of the two book sets with uh, Lies the Government Told You by uh, Andrew Napolitano and uh, The New World Order, The Eugenics Wars by Andrew Hoffman. Yeah. And uh, those are still available, too, if you can grab those. And I appreciate those Futurians for supporting our ministry, and that pays for our Internet and other fees and yeah. books and stuff we need for stuff. I, I know it's a lot of work, man, but do you think it might be a cool idea to do, like, another book set with uh, 63 documents that government doesn't want you to know? Well, I've been thinking about and that. Then, and then I don't know what the other matching book would be. I don't know. I, yeah. I've been thinking about maybe what would make sense. Um I want to make sure everybody gets Andrew's book, but a lot of people who order the other set have Andrew's book now. Well, they could. I'll tell you what, man. If you, if what you should You're, do, we're is talking buy, out loud here in front of all the Futurians, but oh, really? These mics are on. Yeah. These mics are on. Well, then I guess I yeah. can't say. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, what you ought to do is, uh, if if you love the book, buy five of them for your best friends. Yeah. If you hate the book, buy five of them for your enemies. That's true. Five of them for your five That's true. worst enemies. But uh, if you don't want the other books, at least get Andrew's book. And you can go to his website, uh, mm-hmm. eugenicswars.com, and just get the book, his book itself. Mm-hmm. He's a big supporter. In fact, I was going to mention on here, uh, this today, I finally got around to re- uh, listening to the Revelations uh, Radio News. Yeah. Uh, it's on TalkShoe, I believe. But you can go to revelationsradionetwork.com and uh, find the link there to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also on talk show, but brother, brother Tim, mm-hmm. and Tim and Mike show, yeah, and Andrew Hoffman host it, yeah, and yeah, it's man, very, it's cool. very interesting. I, I show. listened to the first show; I enjoyed it. Yeah, I want to recommend everybody to check that out, and also just remind about Future Quake South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have a very, very special guest on coming up here in a few weeks, and um, can I say or should I just no? Say? Don't say. No, it's really secret. Uh-huh. Uh, it's but not that it, secret because I know fqsouthafrica.co. ZA, I believe is what it is. Yeah. And uh, it's in an Andy and D Dutch, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, be sure and check out that show, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are really kicking up. I think that's it for me for general announcements, unless there's something else you can think of. Mm-hmm. Let me get on to our news. Well, what's the latest on the Futurian study group? We had a meeting last night. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. We. Uh, this is for our Middle Tennessee area Futurians listening. Um we met at a place called the Wired Coffee House, which is a very, very uh, uh, hip, bohemian kind of coffee house that also has praise and worship on Sunday nights uh, there. But um, we had asked them about being able to meet there, and we met there last night, uh, which was August 22nd, Monday. And so um, I haven't talked to Bob yet. He's sort of getting his work schedule worked out, whether we're going to meet on two weeks from this Monday, which would be September 5th. That may be Labor Day, so I don't know if that will impact it. Hmm. So hopefully, maybe not this show, but the next one I'll be able to have an announcement. Uh, I assume we'll be back at the Wired Coffee House. they got great coffee there and desserts and all sorts of goodies there. And uh, we got to be with Brother Kurt and uh, and Katie and uh, mm-hmm. Brother Bob and Futurian Adam. Mm-hmm. And, and also, guess who else was there? We had Emmett, our uh, earlier co-host of Future Quake, Fat was City. there. He was there, so... We missed you and Chris. Were you all recording a show for Bible study? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure when it's going to be up. It'll, it's yeah. it's almost done. Y'all need to stop that because, you know, that's Bible study was written 2,000 years ago. Um, yeah. You know. It sure was. It's getting passe now, so we'll move on to more fruitful things. Move on you know? to other things. Yeah. Speaking of fruitful things, uh, you got a story for us. I sure do. Well, do you want to go first? I don't. You You can go first. All right. Yeah, I'll go first. 
All right, this is from thinkprogress.org. Very, very left-leaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, exclusive, Goldman Sachs VP changed his name, now advances the Goldman lobbying interests as top staffer to Daryl Issa. The congressman. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's in the House Oversight Committee. Um, you know, it's a banking thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, has Representative Daryl Issa turned the House Oversight Committee into a bank lobbying firm with the power to subpoena and pressure government regulators? Think Progress has found that a Goldman Sachs vice president changed his name, then later went to work for Issa to coordinate his effort to thwart regulations that affect Goldman Sachs' bottom line. In July, ISA sent a letter to top government regulators demanding that they back off and provide more justification for new margin requirements for financial firms dealing in derivatives. A standard practice on Capitol Hill is to end a letter to, is, um, I think that's send, uh, send a letter to a government agency with contact information for the congressional staffer responsible for working on the issue for the committee. In most cases, the contact staffer is the one who actually writes such letters. With this in mind, it is important to note that the ISA letter ended with the contact information for Peter Holler, a staffer hired this year to work for ISA on the Oversight Committee. ISA's demand to regulators is exactly what banks have been wishing for. Indeed, Goldman Sachs has spent millions this year to try to slow down the implementation of the new rules. In the letter, ISA explicitly mentions that the new derivative regulations might hurt brokers such as Goldman Sachs. Holler, as he is now known, um, went to the went by the name Peter Simonyi until three years ago. Simonyi adopted his mother's maiden name Holler in 2008, shortly after leaving Goldman Sachs as vice president of the bank's Commodity Compliance Group. Hmm. Uh, in a few short years, Holler went from being in charge of dealing of dealing with regulators for Goldman Sachs to working for Congress in a position where he made official demands from regulators overseeing his old firm. It's not the first time Holler has worked for the revolving door to help out Goldman Sachs. According to a report by the Nonpartisan Project on Government Oversight, um, then known as Peter Holler, then known as Peter Samani, left the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2005 to work for Goldman Sachs, then quickly began lobbying his colleagues at the SEC on behalf of his new firm. At one point, Holler was requiring uh, to issue a letter to the SEC stating that he did not violate ethics rules and the SEC agreed. A brief timeline of Holler's work history underscores the ethical issues raised with ICE's latest letter to bank regulators. After completing his law degree in 2000, Holler was employed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission as an economist and later with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the Office of Enforcement. April of 2005, Holler resigned from the SEC to take a job with Goldman Sachs. Although he is not a registered lobbyist, he soon began lobbying the SEC on compliance issues on behalf of Goldman Sachs. In 2006, Holler left Goldman Sachs, according to a Goldman official who spoke to Think Progress. In 2008, he took a job with the law lobbying firm Brickfield, Burchett, Ritz, and Stone. In January of 2011, Holler was hired to work for ISA on the Oversight Committee. Under the supervision of Holler, ISA sent a, a letter dated July 22, 2011 to bank regulators, including the heads of the Federal Reserve, FDIC, FCA, 
CFTHCFHFA, and Office of Comptroller. Demanding documents to justify new Dodd-Frank mandated rules on margin requirements for banks dealing in the multi-trillion dollar OTC derivative market, like Goldman Sachs. Can you make some commentary on this about the significance of some of these particular things that he's doing? There's no line. There's no, the line is totally blurry. He works for the people regulating, uh, regulating a, a Wall Street firm. Uh, he works for the Wall Street firm. He goes back to working for regulating the Wall, for companies regulating the Wall Street firm. Then to get around being found out, he changes his name so he can go to work specifically for one of the people on the House uh, Oversight Committee, uh, Oversight of the Banking Committee, you, that are writing you, letters that are going to... Do you think he, there's no way he would have gotten a job had he not changed his name? Or, are they, or, or is so. it just so... I just wonder if it's so blatant now that they don't even care. They just have a revolving door. You know, they had really strict rules when I worked in the government how you couldn't go work for a company that, that you had a contract with as a government official mm-hmm. to go work for them. Like, you know, at least for five years, you couldn't work with a company or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, people at the top, like politicians and other high-level officials, had waivers and all that. So only if you were a low-level guy. If you were you low, maybe mid. Yeah. And, right. Yeah, if you were up, right. yeah, the rules didn't apply. Yeah, that's the whole thing, man. This is like, dude, you were, you work for the you work for the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, in their enforcement office, and then went straight to work for Goldman Sachs. It's like, dude. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. And then he goes back to work. Then he goes back to work in 2011, uh, for Daryl Issa, uh, helping Goldman Sachs. I didn't mean to interrupt your story there. If you had more you want to elaborate, I just uh, um, was curious about the nature of the ones that he was involved in, his lobbying efforts. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, let me, I'll just read some more stuff here, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll, we'll leave it. Uh, um, let's see. When he took over the chairmanship for the Oversight Committee this year, so he's the chairman. He's the chairman of the Oversight yeah. Committee. I just thought he was a powerful member. ISA dramatically shifted the committee's focus away from its traditional role of investigating major corporate scandals. Instead, ISA has used the committee to merge the responsibilities of Congress with the interests of K Street and ISA's own fortune. Um, I mean, that's mm. might be that's a you know pretty charged mm-hmm. statement. I don't I don't I don't know if it's untrue, but you know. Uh, in June of this year, Think Prog- Progress broke the story about ISA's own complicated relationship with Goldman Sachs. We revealed that ISA purchased a large amount of Goldman Sachs high-yield bonds at the same time as he used the Oversight Committee to, an, an, to attack an investigation into allegations that Goldman Sachs had systematically defrauded investors leading up to the financial crisis. This conflict of interest, in, along with our exclusive story about ISIS earmarks benefiting his own real estate empire, received coverage in a recent piece by the New York Times. And it, it just goes on and on and on. It's like, uh, it's just, it, you know, yeah, it's ridiculous. Hmm. Well, you know, the whole dishonest weights and measures thing, it sure doesn't get much attention in American Christian circles, does it, as far as... Your evangelical, largely conservative circles. Yep. I'm too busy uh, worrying about Sharia law. Really, only the left are the people mm-hmm. 
which it shouldn't be just an issue of the left. It should be an issue for all people about corporate consumption because, in a way, we, we sort of worship capitalism in a way. And there's, sure. I, I like capitalism over anything else, but mm-hmm. um, we basically make heroes out of the biggest tycoons. You know, in context, I was I was reading um, I was reading uh, uh, um, some different different things today, you know, including the Bible, and you know, the phrase that stuck out to me is, you know, unless a man hates his mother, father, brother, and all mm-hmm. these other people, you know, he's not fit to follow me. And then these other radical statements, you know, like give to the poor, mm-hmm. all these other things, and. Then we all kind of go to church and don't do any of those things. And yeah. I, it's kind of it's man, I'm 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 left sort of heartbroken, you know. Yeah. I remember listening to David Wilkerson just recently, where he's he he just sort of flew off the handle as as he was wanting mm-hmm. to do every every couple of years, and he was going, you know what, you know, you know what, uh, 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 mission missionary work and ministries and stuff. Is born out of it's born out of anguish. It's born out of pain, mm-hmm. you know. And he went on to list: this church wasn't built because I had a good grasp of, the, of finances, and mm-hmm. we worked real hard to try and build it brick and mortar. This church was built because uh, 53rd Street, just uh, just a few blocks away from where I'm standing right now, uh, this church was built because I saw all these people. I saw a dude in broad daylight fall down on his face because he was so high he couldn't stand up and he mm-hmm. wasn't but 20 years old. And I just, I just, right there in the middle of middle of the thing, I sat down on the sidewalk and wept, and just covered my face mm-hmm. and cried for the pain of these people. And I said, "There's got to be some. I got to mm-hmm. do something." And and that's what this, that's what these churches born out of, and that's what it is. And when you see stuff like this, you know, it's like. Where's the outrage? You know, right. where's, uh, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's no shortage of of ministry work, and there's no mm-hmm. shortage of stuff like this. But it's like, man, you know, this is just, you know, it's just financial rape, mm-hmm. you know, like. Well, so. God had a lot to say about it in the Old Testament. He spent a lot of his time talking about it. Yeah, know? he did. But uh, you know, it reminds me that the kind of Christianity you're talking against. Um, there was a pastor here locally. That uh, brother Dan was uh, had sent me a link to, and he was he was branding the kind of stuff that we have out this way, uh, suburbanity. Uh, that's probably a good way to describe. Yeah, you know. Well, and and you know, like I, I, you know, all self fulfillment based. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I mean, part of me doesn't, part of me doesn't want to blame, uh, um, part of me doesn't want to, part of me doesn't want to blame anybody. Because if you're not hearing like a radical call, mm-hmm. you know, from the pulpit, then, yeah. you know, you just, you don't know that it's any different. You know, you're like yeah. kind of reading the Bible a little bit and, you know, it's like, oh. And then, and then that stuff is sort of like explained away. Well, not everybody's called to the mission field and, yeah. you know, and, and all that stuff. And, and some of that may be true, but what gets mixed in there is the unradical side of it, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes, I know. Well, you want something a little different here? Yeah, man, hit it. Okay, this comes from Press TV. It says, uh, BBC admits role in 1953 Iranian coup. Okay. It says, the BBC Persian TV channel has at last acknowledged the role of the BBC Persian radio 
and the toppling of the democratically elected government of Iran in the 1953 coup. The coup overthrew the government of then-Iranian Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh, leading to the restoration of absolute monarchy under dictator Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, Pahlavi, Mm -hmm. who was later toppled in the Islamic Revolution of 79. In a documentary aired on August 18th on the anniversary of the coup, BBC Persian Channel admitted for the first time to the role of the BBC Persian Radio as the propaganda arm of the British government in Iran. So we don't have these crazy nutcase authors writing books about the overthrow. Um, this is the BBC themselves admitting that they were basically asked or hired to do propaganda rather than sure. telling the truth. Well, I mean, uh, it, even it's funny people get all people get all you know uh, offended at that or whatever. I, I don't know. They don't. They sort of don't see it. Some people kind of slough it off as ancient history or whatever. Get mad or refuse mm-hmm. to see the relevance. But I mean, if you get online and type in Donald Wilbur Operation Ajax, you can see the CIA's own report mm-hmm. written by the mastermind of it right there. Right. You know. Right. You know. Talks about. But the it. thing is, if we can't trust our media or at least corporate media then that should radically change our view of the world because our view of the world up to now largely has been formed by those groups. We had to go back to square one, in other words. Kind of. Grab our Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes even maybe what our own personal experiences are mm-hmm. and then go back and start rewriting things. Um, now, it says after repeated denials of the BBC Persian Radio's role in helping London, London Aus Mosaddegh, the program entitled uh, Cinematograph detailed how the radio network broadcast anti-Mosaddegh programs to undermine his government. So the other thing to remember is that they denied it. So not only were they doing propaganda, but then they lied about it later I said, no, to the we public and everybody. Yeah, we weren't doing it. So now they're going back. Okay, the British government used the, this is their quote, BBC Persian Radio for advancing its propaganda against Mosaddegh and anti-Mosaddegh material were repeatedly aired on the radio channel to the extent that Iranian staff at the BBC Persian Radio went on strike to protest the move. Mm-hmm. It's a cinematograph narrator said. So they knew it was wrong. And a lot of them went in struck. Britain had lost its power as a world empire after World War II. And Mosaddegh's effort to nationalize Iran's oil industry, uh, which bore fruit on March 19, 1951, meant Britain lost one of the most important resources it formerly fully controlled under the guise of the British-owned Anglo-Iranian oil company due to subservience of the Pahlavi regime. Well, the Anglo-Iranian oil company is called what? So now, it's now BP, isn't it? Now it's BP. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this comes as on the anniversary of the nationalization of Iran's oil industry. On March 19, 2010, the BBC Persian Channel aired another documentary that categorically dismissed the broadcaster's Persian radio uh, in the 1953 coup, claiming the radio channel even went against the policies of the British government. Mm-hmm. The cin- cinematograph also quoted a classified document going back to July 21st, 1951, in which a foreign office official thanked the British ambassador for his proposals that were followed to the uh, to the word by the BBC Persian Radio to strengthen its propaganda against Mosaddegh. The document says, 
The BBC has already made most of the points which you listed, but they were very glad to have an indication from you of what was likely to be the most effective uh, and will arrange their program accordingly, the document shown in part on the program read. We should also avoid direct attacks on the, quote, ruling classes, since it seems probable that we may want to deal with the, a government drawn from those classes should Mosaddegh fall, it added. The, the document further stressed that the Foreign Office, quote, should be grateful for the ambassador's comments on the propaganda line we have proposed. You know, the Pahlavi line actually has a... Uh, um has some uh, uh, blood lineage to the Bavarian little box. No, I had no idea. Pretty far out, huh? I had no idea. Yeah. Now, this was the thing that, you know, people look at Ron Paul, and, and you know, he runs, oh, he's no way he can be elected. He's unelectable, and the media keeps telling us he's unelectable because they do that just like they're told to do the thing on Mosaddegh. Mm-hmm. But they say that, but one of the benefits is the opportunity to educate the public. That are not going to listen to shows like Future Quake, but mm-hmm. when he was in the when he, he was being uh, kicked around by Rick Santorum and the other quote Christian uh, candidates about how how would you say these things about Iran like leaving them alone and stuff, mm-hmm. and he would bring up about this 53 coup where we overthrew their secular democratically elected government mm-hmm. and created. I mean, we we took the first shot to get the Iranians mad at us. Mm-hmm. And that nobody in America talks about it. They're stunned. They were stunned when he brings this stuff up. And it came up again when uh, just recently, I guess about a week ago, Megyn Kelly on Fox News interviewed him. And she was asking him all the hard questions that people ask, you know, how can you have this extreme position? And he went into detail about the 53 overthrow. Mm-hmm. She had nothing to say. She not. couldn't say anything about it. So I one him. good thing about all this is word is starting to get out. Yeah. To understand. And it totally changes your view of things. All we've been told, just like the BBC was telling people there in Iran who to, who to hate and who to like, mm-hmm. we've been told that just out of the blue, these people just hated us and our freedom and just tried to, you know, overthrow our friends in Iran mm-hmm. when nobody says about the 53 coup attempt. Our Futurians know about it. But, you know, most people outside our circles in the church don't know. Well, there's it's interesting. Uh Man, I, I, you know, I've studied that in in a lot mm-hmm. of detail, and uh, right. there's a lot of things I could say about that. Um, one of the things, and it's funny that we're saying this right on the very day today we're recording this when uh, another government they're overthrowing right now. I know. Well, I was just going to say there's. Well, I'll, I'll let that I'll let that shape my commentary. Um, Libya. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the first things they said was, you know, we're bombing Libya for the children because they're mm-hmm. getting all beat up and, yeah. you know, killed and raped and perished. And mm-hmm. Overnight they were doing it. You know, it yeah. just. It's like, where were, you? Where friends, were you for the so last just, 20 years, yeah. man? Where were you for the last 20 years? And um, what they did do is go in and actually actually go in and sign. Uh, eventually signed some some things, putting this provincial government in charge that included members of Al Qaeda. So now we've mm-hmm. now we've uh, signed up to with Al Qaeda as maybe not the ruling party, but part of the ruling uh, the ruling rebel group there mm-hmm. in Libya. And now uh, we hear all sorts of reports. Uh, just lately, we heard all sorts of reports that Gaddafi's people were murder- murdering people and raping them as as a form of terrorism mm-hmm. and uh, um, all this stuff. Turns out it was totally untrue, completely fabricated by members of the media, 
members of the State Department. We find out here that just recently the government has some new secret weapon that they can actually take control of the Internet of the entire country, uh, of an entire country like Libya, mm -hmm. and then um, only put in certain things, you know, yeah. like they, they only see it, it's a total, total Internet filter. They control the sensory input to people in that way. Yep. Uh, we find out that in Egypt, you know, uh, 28 of the 39 groups that formed the large coalition that met there and down there in the big square, whatever that square was, um, in, mm -hmm. in, in Egypt, we find out that, uh, 29 of them, of the 39, were, um, maybe it was 29 or 38. Anyway, it was, it was a large portion of the people who met together, the coalition, were trained by the United States three or four years ago and have been going back regularly meeting with with government officials uh, we find out that uh, uh, well I mean we could just go on and on and on we'll give some more examples okay we find out that uh, a key piece of military surveillance and communication device uh, was blown up by the rebels except they used all of this sophisticated equipment to do it and uh, lo and behold the CIA got this uh, uh, engineer who was was pretty perturbed about um about Qaddafi. they brought him out and all of a sudden he just appeared in libya with a team of people and all of this all of this equipment to do it and um and then now we have this whole thing that Qaddafi's son who's supposedly very much arrested turns out he's very much free hobnobbing with reporters and walking around downtown mm -hmm. tripoli at the rixos hotel which is my next story totally breaks the reality yeah it's like well do you want to jump into that story yeah please let me let me let me jump in here this is from zero hedge who adds a little bit of commentary the original story is from sky mm -hmm. news mm -hmm. um when we said yesterday while presenting live video of the quote alleged unquote libyan revolution since everyone is blatantly lying on both sides of the conflict we leave it to readers to decide what is actually happening which is why we can understand why some may have gotten the impression that Qaddafi's son, Saif al-Islam, was arrested uh, after the Libyan, Libyan rebel movement first reported this and the ICC subsequently confirmed it. Uh, and the ICC is the International Criminal Court, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it turns out he is anything but. According to Reuters, Saif al-Islam, the son of Libya leader Omar Qaddafi, who uh, who rebels uh, who rebels and the International Com Criminal Court had been arrested arrived in the early hours of Tuesday at the Tripoli Tripoli Hotel where foreign reporters have been staying. The following live blog from Sky News merely confirms what we said yesterday, namely that Libyans on both sides of the divided uh, nation have taken to doing what the developed and for now less far less revolutionary world does so well on a daily basis lie to everyone about everything mm -hmm. some pretty pretty fired up commentary mm -hmm. but here's the actual text of the a snippet from the sky news thing the leader's 39 year old son who was wanted by the international criminal court was seen by several journalists at tripoli's rixos hotel it had been reported that two of Qaddafi's sons saif al-islam and muhammad had been captured by the rebels but saeed saif i think is what they said i think it's a typo Saif was also, has also been filmed uh, being greeted by supporters in streets near the Rixos Hotel. He told reporters his father was safe and well, but not, did not reveal the leader's whereabouts. 
It comes after it was claimed Colonel Qaddafi's compound in the capital was being bombed by NATO warplanes as the forces loyal to the dictator make what could be a final stand. Al-Arabiya TV station reported that rebel sources had said the long-standing leader's base was coming under bombardment as clashes continued in the city. Anti-government forces aimed to maintain the control they gained over the majority of the city on Sunday night. Boy, I'm you're sorry. boring yourself even with a yawn. Why Making you myself just... tired. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, what can I say? I got up at four four this morning, so just to get ready for the show tonight. Yeah. Recording. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. Uh. Uh, let's see. Anti-government forces aimed to maintain the control they planted over the major over the majority of the city on Sunday night. There have been reports of violence between the Bab Al Azizia compound and around the Rixos Hotel in the city center. Reuters reported Al Arabiya TV is saying a third son, Sayadi, uh, has also been captured. There are also unconfirmed reports that Colonel Qaddafi's youngest son, Kamis Qaddafi, who runs a section of the Libyan army called the Kamis Brigade, has been found dead. But so far there has been no sign of the embattled leader himself. There has been much speculation about his whereabouts. Sky's foreign affairs correspondent Lisa Holland has said she believes he is still in Tripoli. And I've heard stories that he went out through a tunnel underneath his palace. Yep, I heard that too. Uh, and as yesterday, we concluded with the latent question, how long until the counter-revolution and the latest slaughter of all those who yet again play the Brent WTI compression trade uh, only to get carted out feet first? That's a little bit of... Hmm like, you know, uh, sort of heartless traitor humor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, do you think this sounds pretty engineered along with Gaddafi? Man, this whole thing is I think like... maybe they're, like, courting him out and finding a secret place for him to go. To, yeah. Of course, you know what was happening there for a while? All those guys were having heart attacks and strokes. Like Mubarak, you know, and the uh-huh. other ones. They were all simultaneously having those events occur. Yeah, it's interesting... Uh, well, one of the uh, what some of the more intense people sort of maintain is this is just one of those things to get people out of. Uh, they they say, look, we'll cut a deal with you. You're just going to have to sit in jail for a while and then fake cancer or heart attack. Right, right. And uh, right. then that's it. Just know? get the public to swallow this. Yeah, and then 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 you know you can't come out of hiding, but at least you'll live out your days in mm-hmm. a. In a palace out like in Kinlay or whatever. Yeah, out somewhere way over there, and mm-hmm. uh, nobody can know that you're Qaddafi. Wonder if they have just like one particular island place that they all send them to. That would be an interesting story, wouldn't it? Dignidag, maybe. You, you, where? Have you ever heard of Dignidag? No, I don't get how much. Really? Is that like sandals or one of those? No, well, it's locations? a it's a community in Paraguay where apparently a bunch of ex Nazis still live even okay. to this day. Uh, so much so that. Uh, somebody heard about it, and there were all these rumors circulating yeah. about it. And some dude went there and uh, to check it out, and they took him and they brought him through the gates. And uh, um, you know, they said, "Look, if you ever come back here again, we'll kill you." Mm-hmm. You know, we've killed people before. We've killed them lots of times when we were all younger. So yeah. we'll kill you. Yeah. And um, so he didn't investigate it anymore. Then. Ten years later, somebody else heard the story about it and mm-hmm. figured, oh, I'll go check that out. So he went down there and posed as a skier, and he kind of looked like the first guy, mm-hmm. and he ended up not coming back. Hmm. So there's been all this stuff about this place called Dignidag. I wonder if it'll ever be like a Dignidag quake. Yeah. Welcome to <laughs> Dignidag quake. 
Uh-huh. I am your host, Dr. Mengele. <laughs> and I am your co-host. And we'd like to welcome all the twins yeah. listening out there. Uh-huh. And I'm Thousands your, of them. I'm your co-host, Herman Too Much Fun Goring. Oh, I guess we shouldn't joke okay. about that. Uh, but it is weird. You just think about where all these guys are hauled off to, you know, if they uh-huh. make it out intact, you know, sort of like a rendition camp. Anything else you got to share on that? You kind of got the text there. Okay. Well, now for something completely different. Okay. This is a little different. This mm-hmm. gets for our little prophecy buffs out there, okay? Uh, in this, um, actually, this was something good that came from our... Futurian gatherings or biweekly gatherings Sweet. that Futurian Bob has been leading. Now you, now you, now you have a whole team of people. Yeah, getting reporters. Yeah, great. Futurian Bob himself mentioned this, and he I asked him to send this to me because this relates to some research I'm doing on prophecy from some time ago. It says Temple Institute reveals first blueprints for portion of the third temple. Uh, this is from endtimeinfo.com. Joseph Candell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in his recent USA speaking tour in January, Rabbi Chaim Richman of the Temple Institute revealed to the public for the very first time detailed construction plans for the Chamber of Hewn Stone, the seat of the Great Sanhedrin, which is the central component of the Holy Temple Complex on the Temple Mount. Now, the thing I'm interested in is usually called the Hall of Hewn Stones, mm-hmm. is that hardly anybody knows about it. But it's sort of at the centerpiece of my interpretation of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. My whole interpretation du jour right now is based upon the understanding of what that place was for the Sanhedrin to decide on capital offenses. Mm-hmm. And that in the first early chapters of Revelation, when John goes up into heaven, that my hypothesis, is, his thesis, is that he is actually going into the celestial hall of hewn stone. And that the 24 elders are actually the minor Sanhedrin passing judgment on the major Sanhedrin, which are the 70 Benayah Lahim, hmm. sons of God, then in Far a court out. trial. Now, in the Hall of Hewn Stones as original made, it was made into the side of the wall, where part of it went into the temple court and part of it out in the court of the Gentiles. Who was the prosecutor? Uh, the Sanhedrin. And they would have, you know, cases there. Uh, but with the, why they did that was if they had witnesses that came from the Gentile world, they could bring them in one door. Mm-hmm. If they had priests, they could open the door into the to the uh, you know temple priest area, and then the priests could be stand there and testify. And I think that is a model of what we see in heaven when we see John looking in one direction and looking out and seeing the earth like the court of the Gentiles, and then it looks up and uh, he sees in heaven like where the priests are, the servants mm-hmm. of the Lord. So there's a lot more to that. But anyway, don't ever hear anything about Hall of Hewn Stones, but evidently they haven't forgotten it. Okay, it says, These complete and highly intricate plans constitute the first stage of a historical undertaking of the Temple Institute, the drafting of blueprints for the entire Holy Temple complex. These plans, drawn up by a top Israeli architectural firm hired by the Temple Institute, take into account the specific requirements of the Sanhedrin Assembly Hall, known historically as the Chamber of Hewn Stone. At the same time, these plans incorporate modern technological infrastructure necessary to a 21st century facility. This includes Internet ports, wireless communication systems, computer data storage, elevators, air conditioning, and underground parking. Underground parking? Isn't that wild there being in the temple? 
All these modern amenities and many more have been integrated into the Sanhedrin structure without compromising the integrity of the Great Assembly's physical or spiritual character. You know, the underground parking thing reminds me of, of what? They had underground stables yeah. under the temple. They also have an underground room there that's a Freemason temple. Well, according to someone you and I know, they swear to it. Yep. Up and down. I'd like to go see it again. I tried to see it when I was there, but the person, my guy, didn't know anything about it. Yeah, you got to go. No, just can you just show me the room? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, no land can be prepared, no foundation can be laid, no wall can be erected without a detailed architectural plan first being drawn up, approved by engineers, and presented to the appointed site manager. The plans uh, that were viewed on their page fulfilled every requirement necessary for the immediate commencement of work on this aspect of the Holy Temple complex. The Sanhedrin Chamber of Hewn Stone is but a single chamber in the northern wall of the Holy Temple. Mm -hmm. It was chosen as the initial focus of the blueprint project, not because of its architectural significance per se, but because of its overwhelming spiritual significance to the world. The 70 elders of the Sanhedrin have been vested with the authority of the 70 elders whom God commanded Moshe or Moses to appoint in the desert. Now there's a little prophecy update. And again, it ties into something that I've been doing some research on the Talmud Sanhedrin on what the point of it was. And you know, the minor Sanhedrin that met there of 24, mm-hmm. or 23 plus 1, um, one of their things was to uh, anoint the Messiah. And in fact, that's what you see in heaven in the early chapters of Revelation, that they they announce the Lamb as the Messiah of the world. So, Interesting. Leave it at that. What else you got for us, dude? Oh, uh, uh, there's so many things, man. It's just like, I don't know. You where need do, to prioritize them before we run this show. I, I know, I know, I know. I'm fired. Uh, you you had the story, you had the story, but, uh, um, or you had seen it, but I guess you didn't pick it, but I picked it. Uh, this is from Fizz org.com study shows powerful corporations really do control the world's finances and this is kind of a quick one but it's interesting because it's so it's like you know now even now even people with academic degrees Mm -hmm. who are doing studies admit it for many years conventional wisdom has said that the whole world is controlled by the money elite or more recently by the huge multinational corporations that seem to sometimes control the very air we breathe. Now, new research by a team based in ETH Zurich, uh, Switzerland. ETH, huh? That's uh, maybe a college, I don't know. Has shown that what we've suspected all along is apparently true. The team has uploaded their results onto the preprint server ARXIV. Using data combined, circa 2007, from the Orbis database, a global database containing financial information on public and private companies, the team, in what is being heralded as the first of its kind, analyzed data from over 43,000 corporations, looking at both upstream and downstream connections between them all, and found that when graphed, the data represents a bow tie of sorts, with the knot or core representing just 147 entities who control nearly 40% of all the monetary value of transnational corporations. Wow. Um, In this analysis, the focus was on corporations that have ownership 
in their own assets as well as those of other institutions and who exert influence via ownership in second, third, fourth, etc. tier entities that hold influence over others in, in the web, as they call it, the interconnected network of TNCs that together make up the whole of the largest corporations in the world. In analyzing the data they found and then building the network maps, the authors of the report sought to uncover the structure and control mechanisms that make up the murky world of corporate finance and ownership. To zero in on the significant controlling corporations, the team started with a list of 43,060 TNCs taken from a sample of 30 million economic, quote, actors, unquote, in the Orbis database. They then applied a recursive algorithm designed to find and point out all the ownership pathways between them all. The resulting TNC network produced a graph with 600,508 nodes and 1,006,987 ownership connections. The team then graphed the results in several different ways to show the different ways that the corporate ownership is held. The main theme in each showing that just a very few corporations through direct and indirect ownership via stocks and bonds, etc., exert tremendous influence over the actions of those corporations, which in turn exert a huge impact on the rest of us. The authors conclude their report by asking, perhaps rhetorically, what are the implications of having so few exert so much influence, and perhaps more importantly, in an economic sense, what the implications are of such a structure on market competitiveness. Mm-hmm. So the tail's wagging the dog, basically. Wolf. In our world. Wolf. And it's even worse than if you just look at the balance sheets, you know, on like how much is it technically in this corporation or that. But when they control the levers for other groups, that's the key. Mm-hmm. It's like what I heard Dennis Cuddy talk about some time ago about the secret Nazi plan that he's been doing this series on and writing a book about, mm-hmm. about how Martin Bormann and Himmler sort of knew that the war was going to be lost, but they used it as an opportunity to siphon out tens of billions of dollars and that they bought all the patents to all these key technologies mm-hmm. in companies around the world and used that to finance basically the world government stuff they were doing. Sweetness. So good. that's how they controlled the... Good to know. have that out in the air, I should say, but good. wish they could have bought some of my patents and <laughs> used that, that money, but it probably wouldn't have furthered their aims, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, well... I have another little quick Libya mention here real quick. Mm-hmm. These are all little short ones here. Um, this is from the Foundry, Conservative Policy News blog of the Heritage Foundation, a group I don't read from very much. Uh, Libyan draft constitution. Sharia is principal source of legislation. Sure, because we wrote it. Sure. Well, you mean like the Iraqi one, too? Yeah. The, the dust has not settled over the Libyan capital of Tripoli since rebels took control over the weekend, but already... A draft constitutional charter for the transitional state has appeared online. It is just a draft, mind you. Engaging its authenticity at this point is difficult. There's also no way to know whether this draft or something similar to will emerge as the final government document for a new Libyan regime. As both the Morning Bell and Washington in a Flash noted today, Heritage fellow Jim Phillips recently pointed out, by the way, did you know the head of the Heritage Foundation, which basically runs most of our conservative groups, and a lot of them with Christian conservative groups, mm-hmm. they're the big daddy, Heritage Foundation, that the head of that goes to Bohemian Grove? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I got some information of that. So the uh, good old conservative Christian group, mm-hmm. right in front of Molech there, the owl. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's an aside note. 
Jim Phillips pointed out that Islamist forces appear to make up a small but not insignificant part of the opposition coalition and must be prevented from hijacking Libya's future. Parts of the draft constitution allay those fears while others exacerbate them. Much of the document describes political institutions that will sound familiar to citizens of Western liberal democracies, including the rule of law, freedom of speech, religious practice, and a multi-party electoral system. But despite the lock-in tenor of such the Constitution, of much of it, the inescapable clause lies right in Part 1, Article 1. Islam is the religion of the state, and the principal source of legislation is Islamic jurisprudence, or Sharia. Mm-hmm. Under this constitution, in other words, Islam is law. That makes other phrases such as, there will be no crime or penalty except by virtue of the law, and judges shall be independent, subject to no other authority but law and conscience, a bit more ominous. So, this goes in concert with what has been pointed out before, and I think Will Grigg was the first one that found this out, was that in the last decade, the only nation that turned to Sharia law was one that we founded and wrote their constitution, and that was in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And now these are the guys from Al-Qaeda that now we're funding, in ba- or mm-hmm. from Al-Qaeda, who are now coming over the new constitution. Before, it was not Sharia law under the old guy, and now we're funding one. And, and by the way, the, the guys on the, the right are supporting this as well as, as Obama's folk, getting rid of these people. I mean, from Fox News, I mean, all the... The CFR guys that come on regularly, you know, the foreign policy. Oh, they all want to get rid of them. They, they think it's great what we're doing. And so what they're doing as part of it is getting the Sharia law in. So if you want to go after these low-level little cranks out here saying stuff about, we want Sharia law, I want doing this, or some of these little nutty. You know, I'm wondering sometimes if a lot of these guys are like Warren Jeffs kind of characters. Some of these extreme, uh, in fact, if we get to it, I've got another story that probably suggests this. Some of these Muslim extremist people that want to have slavery and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they're like Warren Jeffs freaks that we we focus on. But you focus on them, you're not going to get rid of the problem. Not until you get the people in the West who, who actually had been bankrolling Islamic Jihad, mm-hmm. Muslim Brotherhood, all these other kind of groups. Until you get to them, you're not going to deal with this problem. Hmm. It's just another tool of the West. There you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Or your hookah and smoke it. I don't smoke a pipe or a hookah or anything for that matter. You got something to lay on us, bro? Yeah. Well, my new thing is just not to go outside anymore. I think that's what I'm going to do. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of what I do. I go to take pyro to go potty. Very much like you. Yeah. Go to church. I'm pretty much a shut-in. My personal favorite favorite, uh, 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 comment from you was farming. I'd make a great farmer. As long as I didn't have to go outside. Right. <laughs> That's right. For those farmers who don't have to go outside, I could I'd be, be like a premier. I'd be best, yeah. Yeah. It's like a friend of mine that said he really liked music. He just didn't like listening to it. <laughs> wow. Sort of messes with your mind, you know, yeah. you think about that. Speaking of messing with our minds, what you got? Taste for? from above. New robot copter to begin patrolling our skies. All right. Well, I mean, we knew it was inevitable, but here it is. Mm-hmm. I feel safer already. Forget the idea that weaponized unmanned aerial vehicles, or UAVs, are only for military operations and wars fought in far-off lands. Soon they'll begin setting their sights on criminals within our borders. And they'll be packing heat. Not the the long-range missiles of the X-47B, but with up-close and personal stun guns, 
12 gauge shotguns, and believe it or not, grenade launchers. Kaboom! Mm. That's law enforcement for you. It's like. You gotta stop jaywalking and, you know. It's like a RoboCop, man. Anyway. There is no difference between our military and police anymore. No. There's just no difference. No. Yeah. Nope. Everybody, no longer do you have a citizen that broke a law. You were just, everybody's an enemy combatant. Recently at a... And that's why they don't need to give us the rights afterwards, because we're just an enemy combatant. Yeah, recently, recently at this uh, this law enforcement thing, this uh, um, this person uh, teaching it said, we have to get away from the traditional idea of law enforcement and see ourselves in a 360-degree battle. Like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a 360-degree battle, and you got a, everybody who comes... You know, comes to talk to you could be in this day and age. You mm-hmm. know, I presume a, Sheriff Andy Taylor probably wouldn't fit in that paradigm. Well, his maybe. way of dealing with issues. Yeah, I know. I don't picture him like like shooting doors open and stuff like DEA going and over to Otis's house. It's like Barney Fife has has taken yeah. over. You know, got the bullet out of, of course, his gun. You know, the FBI when they would come into town in Mayberry, they would always try to get him to use this kind of stuff, and they would always end up blowing it, and he would have to sort of save Smooth them. it out because yeah. he. Dealt with people as individuals. He tried to de-escalate s- situations and things mm-hmm. like that, and it's fallen out of favor now. Yeah, my favorite guy was that dude who always drank too much, and he just sort of show Otis. up. Yeah, he just sort of show up at th- at the thing and be like, Yeah, can here I'll just let myself in. Right. Yeah. 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 I thought that was goofy. I'm an Ernest T. Bass man myself, but how? Oh. You yeah. it's you. It's me. It's me. It's Ernest T. <laughs> Sort of yeah. how I see myself here. I'm just throwing bricks through windows of the you know, middle he did like, You know, he did like 5,000 commercials, Ernest T. Bass. He did? Yeah. Now, I know I know uh, Jim Varney oh, I'm did sorry. a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He did Hey Vern, it's Ernest. He was, know what I mean? Know what I mean? Yeah. Know what I mean? He's okay. also from this area. That's right. Yep. In fact, uh used to sing in the choir. Uh, and it, the guy who was the old man that used to hang out with Jim Varney in all his movies, his face would sort of fold up. Mm-hmm. He he sang in the choir down the church I used to go to. Wow, wow! Yeah, brushed with greatness. Know what I mean? I guess know. that's what our futurians are listening for—is that kind of information. Know uh, what I mean, Vern? Got anything else to share? Oh yes, I do. The Shadowhawk is the seven-foot, fifty-pound copter that is the toy-sized dealer. Of destruction from Texas-based Vanguard Defense Industries. So you know it's right there. Why don't they have industry. truth in advertising? Call it "Kill the Citizen Industries" or something. Or like Vanguard Offense Industries. Yeah. Terror- How defensive is a 50-pound helicopter? Terrorize the villagers. Yeah. Industries. Yep. Yeah. What what is it? The uh, Helo, the Helo Dance Patrol. You know the Helots were the were the uh, the underlings there in in. Uh, in Sparta, okay. you know, you had the Spartans who ran everything in yeah. this large slave class. Yeah, and, that's right. Okay, yeah, you know, and all all of this. Well, it's really what we are, aren't we, in yeah. this society? Yep, yep. And now we have a helicopter a helicopter doing. It's called the Helo Dance Patrol. It tases you, and everybody dances. Okay, what else you got there on that? The copter is a result of three years of development. If being tased from above sounds frightening to you, I suggest you cease all criminal activities now. Simply staying indoors is an option. There's a good chance Shadowhawk's spine-tingling buzz could be heard approaching a city near you. 
As a sign of new law enforcement tactics to come, the Sheriff's Office of Montgomery County, Texas, was recently awarded a grant by the Department of Homeland Security for a squadron of Shadowhawks. Montgomery County's Chief Deputy Randall McDaniel is psyched. We are very excited about the funding and looking forward to placing the equipment into the field. Both my narcotics and SWAT teams have been looking at numerous ways to deploy it, and I absolutely believe it will become a critical component in all SWAT callouts and narcotics raids and emergency management operations. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security grant is just the latest indication that the U.S. is taking the military's lead. With over 7,000 drones in the skies of Iraq and Afghanistan and using drones as a key tactic tool. Uh, in 2009, a, sur a surveillance drone called the WASP was used during a SWAT raid in Austin, Texas. The WASP climbed to 400 feet and beamed real-time video of a house in which an armed drug dealer was hiding. After the team had confirmed that there were no unforeseen dangers lurking into the backyard, they stormed the house and shot everybody. No, I added that last part. Yeah. They stormed the house and arrested the suspect. Drones are also helping the U.S. to secure its borders against illegal immigration and drug trafficking. Just a few months ago, the Obama administration began sending drones to Mexico to gather intelligence and help the country's war on drugs and help the CIA. I also added that last part. Mm -hmm. Not limited to our borders, Shadow Hawk will soon be swooping down on bad guys off the shores of Africa. Vanguard Defense just won a multi-million dollar contract for several Shadow Hawks to patrol the East African coast against pirates. Hired by a global leader in oil and gas exploration and production industry, the initial plan is to use the cop is the copter drone strictly for surveillance. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the local authorities got involved at some point and just started shooting people at random. I'll add to that last part. Uh, pirates might respond better when looking down the nose of a 40-millimeter grenade launcher. Uh, I didn't add that but last mm -hmm. part. Shadowhawk is not nearly as agile as the Acrobat quadcopter from UPenn's Grasp Lab, but it's definitely more agile than a perpetrator fleeing on foot. Yeah, we're paying for all this stuff, yeah. right, all our taxes. Mm -hmm that uh, is building all these kind of things that mm -hmm. a lot of them end up being totally crazy, but we paid the company anyway to build them. Yep. They're not really supportable mm -hmm. in the field, but yep. yeah, like, it's like drunken the, sailors. We're buying as much stuff <laughs> like this as we it's can. It's like that transmission that Ford had that automatically shifts into control, uh, into four-wheel drive, mm -hmm. and uh, they needed, they, 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 they ended up making a bunch of like small, small-time flywheels out of a corrugated type of paper. And they took it off-roading. And they, they wondered why after a 1,000 miles the, the the transmission quit working. Mm. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah, they yeah. don't make corrugated Gears paper Gears made like out of paper. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, anyway, all the cameras can be used to ta track ground targets with amazing effectiveness. The following video demonstrates the ability of the CCD and infrared cameras uh, and its ability to track vehicles and humans fleeing on foot and to shoot them dead in their tracks, whether they're innocent mm -hmm. or not. You can run, but Shadowhawk is going to stick you stick to you like flies on shady characters. The Shadowhawk comes in four different flavors with different options for outfitting. Both turbine or piston engines are available, and guidance systems includes laser pointers, range finders, illuminators, CCD TV optics, and a FLIR infrared camera. Taking off, flying, and landing can be fully automated or pilot assist semi autonomous. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, can only the 
governments have these kind of things? Could we actually make some for the regular public to have? That'd be for cool. For our protection? Yeah. Well, like to fly around and see like when the ATF or, you know, the storm, the stormtroopers are coming and well, fly the, over there and let us know when they're Well, you know, the drug dealers in Mexico did build that homemade tank. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just talking about something so we know, because only governments get to have these things now, it looks like. Yeah. And having to let us know when they're coming and, you know, mm-hmm. they start trying to tase me, maybe I need to have an anti, you know, UAV device up there. Yep. Yeah, that, uh, that'd be cool. I think that'd be a good use of future quake funds. We'll, you think we'll so? Well, I get my old Defense Department uh, engineering brain going again. Yeah, man. Yeah. You'd know in how to general, put the fire out if it got shot in the get, air. Get Chuck Baldwin to endorse it or something like that. And get one test up there in Montana. That'd be cool, man. You know? Yeah. For for the public people. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that story. Um, anything else you want to add on it? Well, it says here, uh, and, and it, it, it goes on to list some of the things that... 37 or 40 millimeter grenade launchers or a meaty single shot or multiple 12 12 gauge shotgun. But you shouldn't be worried about your neighbors getting their hands on a shadow hawk. Hobbyists can have drones as long as they keep them from flying higher than 400 feet. And of course they won't be armed with tasers or grenade launchers. But after the FAA guidelines are pretty loose, after that the FAA guidelines are pretty loose concerning shadow hawks or any such unmanned aircraft. The FAA encourages good judgment on the part of the operators so that persons on the ground or other aircraft in flight will not be endangered. So they're sort of, sounds like they're immediately, they're sort of frowning on it, but Hmm. I don't know. Well, they're going to get so many of them up there, they're going to run into each other after a while. That'd be funny. And then land on us. You know, I had a friend of mine who was a sort of a ham radio hooligan, and he had hardwired... He had hardwired a whole bunch of radios to listen to, like, the military bands and satellite mm-hmm. stuff and all this. And uh, one time he was listening to the um, the the intercepts between uh, LAPD-1 and LAPD-2, or the two helicopters mm-hmm. that L.A. uses. And, uh, you know, there was, like, a big police chase by his house. So he runs home, gets on the thing, and says, this is U-57, uh, what's your 402 uh, LAPD? And they said... Uh, uh, U-52, he's identifying himself as a car. Yeah. And, uh, he says, U-52, uh, uh, we're in, we're, we're 1020 over the target, uh, fleeing, fleeing northbound on 405. And, uh, he goes, oh, it's a 1022. Wow, the dude, like, killed somebody. Um, so, anyway, they're flying and he's listening to this whole thing, like eating popcorn. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's, they stop. And you hear somebody, you hear one of the police cars. He said you heard one of the police cars go, uh, LAPD, LAPD one, LAPD one. You there? And nobody says anything for a minute. And you hear somebody else get on the thing and say, oh my God, I think they crashed. And it, apparently they ran into each other. Mm. So. Wow. How, how did he make contact with them? He just got it's on. one thing to have a police band. It's another thing to be able to. Well, he had, there. yeah, he had his ham radio all hardwired to do all sorts of naughty stuff. Interesting. I'll, I'll tell you some far out stuff sometime. Hmm. It's pretty, pretty wild. Particularly if they talk to other intelligences, like you know, like the Outer Limits show, because they'd always yeah. do that through their ham radio and stuff. He tried to call the SR seventy one one time. <laughs> it didn't work. 
SR71. Who's on this band? SR71. Yeah, because I used to take off. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Not El Toro, but the other military base uh-huh. that's there. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's Edwards. I can't remember. Yeah. It's the one that's in L.A. there. Yeah. And uh, they used to take off. And uh, him and another group of people were really smart, and they sort of they would listen to the internal mm-hmm. traffic uh, at the thing, and they'd know. They wouldn't know what day, yeah. but they'd hear somebody pull it out the night before, yeah. and then they'd call each other, and then they'd all all show up at the end mm. of the runway mm. and uh, get to see it get to see it fly yeah. overhead, you know. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, here here's uh, here's one just to sort of let people know the possibly some data on the pulse of our nation here in America where it's going. Uh, this is one I saw on Infowars. It says uh, uh, Republican voters are losing their appetite for war. Uh, this is very interesting for the Christian community because they've been the most pro-war people in our nation's been the, uh, evangelicals. Mm-hmm. It says, as presidential candidate Ron Paul builds his campaign around an anti-war message of bringing the troops home from conflicts that the United States can no longer afford to pay for, polls show that Americans, particularly Republicans, are losing their appetite for war. Voter confidence about the short-term course of the war in Afghanistan short-term courses what's been ten years it's the longest war yeah has fallen to its lowest level in nearly two years while confidence about the direction of Iraq over the next six months has dropped to the lowest points in almost five years of surveying according to Rasmussen only 15 percent of likely US voters think the situation in Afghanistan will improve over the next six months while more voters than ever before 59 percent now want an immediate troop withdrawal or a firm timetable to be set for ending the occupation. Republicans are more pessimistic than Democrats about the future course of operations in both Afghanistan and Iraq. The 59% figure represents a significant swing from less than two years ago in September 2009 when just 39% wanted the troops pulled out of Afghanistan. Mm. So now 59% are. Immediate timetable. Crucially, a slim majority of Republicans now want the troops brought home from Afghanistan, 43% to 42%. Okay, so now majority of Republicans do. Okay, so Ron Paul is this crazy fluke, this this crazy nutcase, the only one of the entire candidates of Republican that wants to bring him home. And they marginalize him as extremists, except the majority of Republicans want to do this. Mm-hmm. Wars launched during the administration of George W. Bush have now become Obama's wars. Indeed, there are more troops deployed under Obama than there were at any time under Bush. In addition, support for continued military action in Libya hit a new low this week, which is 20% approving the United States' role in toppling Colonel Gaddafi through their support of al-Qaeda-linked rebels. 52% oppose military action, with the rest not sure, marking the first time a majority of Americans have opposed military intervention in the North African country. Okay? A majority say, don't do it. They do it anyway. Mm-hmm. A mere 13% of Republicans support the campaign in Libya. Although, if you watch Fox News, the majority of the the Council on Foreign Relations people they have the talking heads all think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But even the, most of the masses are finally not buying it anymore, in, in my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, uh, again, this is emphasizing Ron Paul's anti-war message is resonating better than ever before amongst the electorate who will choose a Republican candidate to challenge Obama next year. Mm-hmm. Given this sentiment, it's not surprising that Ron Paul has received more money and donations from active-duty military personnel than all of the other Republican candidates combined, 
and more than Barack Obama. As the U.S. economy continues to crumble while crippling unemployment and rising poverty shows no sign of abating, Americans are finally starting to understand that wars of conquest only ever serve to enrich the political ruling class and never financially benefit the country itself. The fact that the U.S. can no longer afford to support a sprawling empire is painfully clear, and yet Ron Paul is the only Republican candidate who will make any effort to bring the troops home. Indeed, almost every other candidate has expressed their intention to commit Americans to yet another war by threatening to strike Iran, a country that is surrounded by nuclear-armed enemies in that region and has no hope of ever posing a serious threat to the United States, even if it wanted to. The fact that Americans are losing their appetite for war at a quickening pace uh, as we approach 2012 makes a choice between Barack Obama, uh, uh, who many uh, who has aggressively expanded the Bush doctrine of preemptive warfare, huh. and a gaggle of Republican candidates, all who have sworn to continue identical policies, a wasted vote. Uh, and this is in their opinion of Paul Watson. Only Ron Paul can guarantee U.S. troops will be brought home from the meat grinders in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that America will not spend a dime more on NATO-led conquests dressed up as humanitarian interventions in places like Libya and Syria. So it looks like the the numbers are showing that even Republicans, although they're late to the dance, are starting to grasp this. So Paul is mainstream, except with the media and people in power. Yeah, well, it's okay. You can he can Ron Paul can join other fringe things like the Sixth Amendment. <laughs> yeah, check this out. This is one that I wanted to cover hey, earlier. Be- before you mention this story, yeah. Um, did you you heard about the earthquake today, right? Yeah, I mean it was, DC. I mean stuff was falling down in different places uh-huh. and stuff like that. Yeah, you heard about the Washington Monument tilting? No. Yeah, they think it's tilting now. Oh, that explains all these all these photoshopped photos I got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's supposedly they they're afraid that's what it is. So I don't know if it's going to reveal that Bible that the supposed Freemasons put in there that Ron, that Tom Horn talked about or not. Mm. I don't know. So, FYI. Uh, okay, your right. story. This is from uh, a website called freeedgarsteel.com. Uh, and just to sort of inform people, Edgar Steele, uh, is a, he's a Nazi, but, uh, like he's a, like a neo-Nazi fascist. Yeah. But, uh, this, this, uh, this really outlines, outlines some pretty darn freaky things here. So I'll give you a couple of a couple of things here and then just sort of fast forward to the to the to the yeah. In a stunning far-reaching and precedent-setting ruling issued by the Idaho Supreme Court this past week, the right to confidential communications between attorneys and individuals charged with crimes under the 6th Amendment of the US Constitution henceforth is no longer enforced in Idaho. What? In Idaho of all places? Yeah. Without comment, the entire bench of the Idaho Supreme Court has ruled that the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution no longer applies within the boundary of Idaho. I'm not making this up. I, I wanted to get to this one earlier, but, uh, yeah. uh, for, you know, the flow of the show and all that. Mm-hmm. This result has obtained. This result was obtained from the summary dismissal of a complaint lodged against, against U.S. Attorney Tracy Whelan, uh, against Assistant U.S. Attorney Tracy Whelan by Attorney... Edgar J. Steele formally admitted to practice before all courts in the state of Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and California, as well as virtually all federal courts up to and including the U.S. Supreme Courts. 
Steele's complaint about the AUSA Whelan's behavior first was sent to the Idaho State Bar and then was forwarded to the Idaho Supreme Court because Whelan herself sits on the ISB Attorney Committee. Attorney Steele's complaint went much further than making out a prima facie case of criminal behavior on the part of AUSA Whelan and the entire Justice Department of the United States of America, up to and including President Barack Obama, not to mention his Attorney General Eric Holder. Could you read that a little faster, please? <laughs> they just, it's all these run-on sentences. Who, who nominally heads up the U.S. Justice Department, as all of them are complicit in the intrusion into the former right to confidential attorney-client privilege. I asked them the Idaho Supreme Court judges to take judicial notice of documents in the custody of both the Department of Justice and Idaho's federal district court, said Steele, reached today in his jail cell in downtown Moscow, Idaho. That's such a good name for a place mm-hmm. where the Sixth Amendment doesn't apply. I wrote letters to attorneys plainly marked legal mail and addressed to lawyers with the title attorney at law. The feds opened those sealed letters photocopied them, then sent them back to me as part of their pretrial document production, a clear violation of U.S. Constitution Sixth Amendment guarantee of assistance of counsel to criminal defendants like me. Steele alleges and proved by reference to documents both on file with U.S. District Court and included with his formal complaint that AUSA Whelan intentionally and secretly eavesdropped into conversations between Steele and all three of his two-date attorneys of record, Roger Peven, Robert McAllister, and Wesley Hoyt. Conversations that Whelan invaded included those made by telephone at two different county jails, Spokane, Washington, and Bonner, Idaho. This is just what the communists do. Yeah. This is no different than any other totalitarian regime Mm -hmm. or what you'd get in North Korea. In the attorney visiting booths at Spokane County Jail. Further, eavesdropping into attorney-client communications also occurred in the previously believed sacrosanct confines of the U.S. District Court's own attorney-client interview rooms in the U.S. Federal District Court building in Boise, Idaho. The confidential conversations secretly recorded by AUSA Whelan spanned several months, both prior to and directly following Steele's trial and conviction on four federal charges that, combined, could net him over 70 years in a federal penitentiary. And that's kind of the, mm. that's kind of it, man. That's probably the most scariest stories of the entire show mm-hmm. that we've had because people glaze over and don't care about that stuff until suddenly you need it. You need to be able to have somebody on your side with an attorney to talk to, when you, mm-hmm. particularly when you got the government coming after you. Yeah. That you've got to have ability to speak freely, to investigate alternatives. With counsel, even including when you're doing a pleading or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, I mean, we're doomed. Yeah. Um, here's some other highlights. The federal judge, Lynn Windmill, who presided at Steele's trial, ruled retroactively on February 11th, 2011, that Steele had, quote, waived, unquote, his attorney-client privilege simply by daring to speak with a private attorney by phone seeking to interview him for possible representation. Thus, the court court's order provided AUSA Whelan with cover for being charged with a variety of state and federal felonies that could see her put behind bars for as long a, se- a sentence as Steele now faces. Hmm. Um, uh, Help me, please, cried out Steele as he was dragged away. Somebody please make them obey the law protecting attorney-client privilege. Uh, 
privileged communications or we are all doomed. Sounds like what I said. Yep. And this was this was he was as he was being dragged apparently supposedly being dragged out of the courtroom. Uh, Idaho state officials refused to comment upon whether Idaho state constitution has also been suspended by this week's Idaho Supreme Court ruling, as it too obtained a previous a provision formally thought to provide a measure of confidentiality communications between criminal defendants and their attorneys. Well, I want to click on that link once we get it up on our website, uh-huh. uh, which anybody's listening to this now will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is the kind of stuff Christians need to be involved in, right? You'd think. I mean, I mean, Christians need to be shaming people. You know, I mean, the church in that in Idaho and that community across the country could maybe stop worrying about some of the trivial stuff they're messing with, and maybe get on some of the stuff. Have, have you seen anything? One of our favorite Ohio, Ohio, what do you call it? Idahoans, I guess. Uh, uh, Will Grigg has he posted on this? this I don't right believe so. Alley, yeah, this would be something. He lives there in Idaho. This would be something he's... he should be dealing with, but. I find that extremely disturbing. Yeah, it's no, it's totally crazy. Um, would you like to try to squeeze in a couple more stories? However you want to do it. We could do stories. We could do news. Whatever you want. Okay. Well, um, I've got one here. I'm not sure I'm going to read all of it. It's uh, <laughs> you know, our listeners, if they listen to me for and us for a long time, we have been a voice to say. Don't go overboard in trying to go after all Muslim people everywhere. And be careful with what a lot of Christians are saying about this and that, what they're doing, until you meet these as individual people. Mm-hmm. That as Christians, we need to be careful about going to extremes like that. Well, this is something, uh, we have a sister Dominique who emails me occasionally, and, and, uh, we've had some really interesting discussions, and she's very, very worried about Sharia law, and she sends me stuff, and, and, she and I have been all up and down over trying to come to an understanding of what's going on, but she sent me something here, and and I believe somebody else sent this to me too. And it's one of these ones that's really complicated, and I just wanted to know what your take is on everybody on it. Uh, this is called Britain's Islamic Emirates Project, and it's from something called uh, Hudson, New York. Okay, is the organization that that is presenting this. And here's what they report. It says a Muslim group in the United Kingdom has launched a campaign to turn 12 British cities, including what it calls Londonistan, London, Londonistan, into independent Islamic states. The so-called Islamic Emirates would function as autonomous enclaves ruled by Islamic Sharia law and operate entirely outside British jurisprudence. The Islamic Emirates project, launched by the Muslims against the Crusades group, Okay. Um, names mm-hmm. the British cities of Birmingham, Bradford, Derby, Dewsbury, Leeds, Lancashire, uh, Liverpool, Luton, Manchester, Sheffield. These are, you know, one of the biggest cities in, mm-hmm. in, in England. As well as Waltham Forest in northeast London and the Tower Hamlets in east London as territories to be targeted for blanket Sharia rule. The project, which uses the motto, the end of man-made law and the start of Sharia law, was launched exactly six years after Muslim suicide bombers killed 52 people and injured 800 others in London. Uh, a July 2011 announcement posted on Muslims Against Crusades states, In the last 50 years, the United Kingdom has transformed beyond recognition. What was once a predominantly 
uh, Christian country has now been overwhelmed by a rising Muslim population which seeks to preserve its Islamic identity and protect itself from the satanic values of the tyrannical British government. There are now over 2.8 million Muslims living in the UK, which is a staggering 5% of the population. But in truth, it is more than just numbers. Indeed, the entire infrastructure of Britain is changing. Mosques, Islamic schools, Sharia courts, and Muslim-owned businesses become an integral part of the British landscape. In light of this glaring fact, Muslims Against Crusades have decided to launch the Islamic Emirates Project that will see high-profile campaigns launched in Muslim enclaves all over Britain with the objective to gradually transform Muslim communities into Islamic Emirates operating under Sharia law. With several Islamic Emirates already well established across Asia, Africa, and Middle East, including Iraq and Afghanistan, we see this as a radical but realistic step in the heart of Western Europe that will install, uh, uh, God willing, pave the way for worldwide domination of Islam. This is what the group is saying. This is what the Hudson... No, this, well, this is what the, the Hudson group is saying that this group is saying. Uh, one of the group's strategic documents, Islamic Prevent 2011, Preventing Secular Fundamentalism and Occupation of Muslim Land, provides insights to the religious or philo- philosophical mindset behind the project. For example, example, Chapter 1 states, The only identity for Muslims is Islam. In no shape or form can a Muslim support any form of nationalism as such as promoting Britishness. Chapter 4 states a Muslim can only abide by Sharia and is not allowed to obey any man-made law. And Chapter 5, Muslims must reject secularism and democracy. Uh, and it, it just goes, you know, it goes further on for that. Um, it says this group, Muslims Against Crusades, is the new identity of Islam for UK. An Islamist group that was prescribed by the British government in January 2010. Um, so, um, anyway, what do I, this, this is thoughts? something that I'm sent, yeah, sort of frequently to look okay. at this. Um, they, they claim that 85 Sharia courts are operating in Britain more than 20 times as previously believed, um, and that Sharia law is transforming daily life in Britain. Um, uh, in the Hamlet, uh, Tower Hamlet area of East London, uh, extremist Muslim preachers called Howard, Tower Hamlet's Taliban regularly issue death threats to women who refuse to wear Islamic veils. Um, and it says at the sort of in the end here that meanwhile Britain is struggling to combat a cycle of Islamic honor-related ki- kidnapping, sexual assaults, beatings, and murder that is spiraling out of control. According to the London-based Association of Chief Police Officers, up to 17,000 women in Britain are victims of honor-based violence. Forced marriages, honor killings, kidnappings, sexual assaults, beatings, female genital mutilation, and other forms of abuse every year. This is 35 times higher than official figures suggest. And British detectives say it's merely the tip of the iceberg. Well, okay. How come the police aren't doing something about it? I mean, that's... That's, they have laws on the books against assault of people. Well, that's the whole thing that I don't understand. People scream about this stuff. There's already laws against it, and then the Scotland Yard, like, obeying If Sharia it's as bad or, as what this is saying. Well, then, sir, Scott, uh, this, it's, something about this, like, at a very basic level doesn't make any sense. I get, well, see, that's the thing. But, you know, I'm afraid I'm biased because I'm already not buying this fever of us 
realizing we've got a new enemy that replaced communism. Uh-huh. And that, Cause I get, I don't know how many of these main best, but you know, I have some Futurians emailing us that really are worried and concerned. And I don't want to categorically dismiss it because it didn't fit my paradigm right yeah. now. Well, but when I checked a lot of these organizations that were doing this, mm-hmm. the ones that I saw were, and this is going to sound bad too, I don't know how to say this, almost all of them were tied to Jewish organizations. Mm-hmm. They weren't just regular secular groups. They were affiliated with another religion. Mm-hmm. And they were, almost all of them, pretty much focusing on Sharia kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe not 100%, but almost exclusively. Well, now, I could be wrong. I don't have exhaustive data on it. I, please forgive me, well, people, if I well, let me, this wrong. I mean, let me. But I'm just wondering how much of this is real and propaganda. I don't want to be duped either way. Sure, sure. Well, and I guess ultimately it doesn't matter because we're called to bless those who curse us. Ultimately, we are yeah bless those who spitefully use us and yep um, pray for our enemies. Since we're since we're talking about this, I had a but I mean that would be total that would mean there was absolute total mayhem as a regular thing in British society. Yeah, if yeah. that's going on. Yeah, well that's that's the thing that doesn't make sense. That and that you know Scotland Yard said oh they're Muslims we're just taking hands off we're just taking hands off uh, which which means you know. You know, people immediately people go, we got to do something about about this. We have to do something about these Muslims. So we can't trust the police or the government. So we got to do something about it. That's vigilantism, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or maybe that's too strong a word. At least uh, more direct citizen activism. You know, to address it, which mm-hmm. well, if it's the fact to, and I and I've mentioned this to some of our listeners concerned about this. Uh, if it if it reinforces the separation between church and state. And not being able to impose your religious beliefs on others, I'm all for that. But you have to do it for all religions. We can't say, well, Christianity is the only one we can do. Because that will never work. That will be turned against us. Yeah. Unless we really make our civil government a civil or secular institution. I'm looking at this this thing called Solify Media here. And they've got all of these videos on here. And I I don't know a ton about the Muslim religion. Yeah. But there's some a couple of these things are like like very obvious spelling mistakes. Yeah. In in, yeah. in what they're promoting. Uh again, I'm not an expert, so I could it could all be weird. But here's yeah. one thing that sounds to me like immediate propaganda. No one has the right to be worshipped, followed or obeyed except Allah alone and his and Muhammad, his slave and messenger. And that's 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 down the side of the thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a Quranic verse? Show me that in the Quran. I know it's not. Well, I had I've I got don't think it is. Email I, I've got from somebody that's yeah. talking about how this woman who's Islamic woman wants to institute slavery again. And slavery would be good because you could have female sex slaves in marriages uh-huh. that would help you obey the Quran rather than having infidelity, you know, uh, uh, adultery. Now. I'm thinking, you know, let, let's say these people are real and they exist. Is this really the pulse of this other world religion? Like like all the professors that we know that teach Islam in the universities in America, are they saying the same thing too? Or is it the case that you've got like a Warren Jeffs kind of guy? You know, we have nutty Christian, like Westboro Baptist yeah. Church. We've got people who are doing... Uh, you know, polygamy and this other kind of stuff. Are they taking people like this and saying, okay, see, here's what this religion represents? And 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 are the people in Islam, are they doing that with some of our extreme guys over here and doing the same thing over in their community? 
Well, we know I that... I mean, I really want to know what the truth is. I don't want to just reinforce what my hunch is. I'd like to know. But I'm, I'm really feeling like we're just being duped by so many propagandists. Yep. That's what I... I'll, I'll tell you. I'll relate a conversation I had here with some lady. I sat down in Starbucks because my internet wasn't working. Yeah. So I went over to Starbucks to use their internet. And this... I sat down and this lady was was reading something, and somehow we we struck up a conversation, and we were both Christians, both yeah. both believers. And she says, "You know, I'm writing a book on Bible prophecy. So very interesting. I, I actually mm-hmm. know quite about the subject and the ins yeah. and outs." And she said, "She said, oh well, yeah, it's called it's called the eight lane freeway, and I'm trying to get the graphic right." <laughs> About how, you know, it's like driving down the road, you just see the car like in front of you, but really you have to get up and sort of look down the freeway to see what's really going on. Uh I said, oh, well, interesting. And we talked, and she said, have you read this book by Walid Shabbat? And I said, no. And she says, it's called The Enemies of God or something like that. And I said, I I don't know. Uh, It sounds pretty suspect to me. He's like, no, no, he's an internationally recognized expert Uh and all this stuff. I said, well... Uh, the C- CNN did a whole background check on him, and he's been thoroughly discredited. Mm-hmm. And um, we 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 went that on. That probably and on. didn't go over well. No, we went on and on, and on and on and on. And I said, look, uh, I said at one point, I said, look, ma'am, uh, I mean, you can believe what you want to believe, but if I go to if I go to Iraq and start uh, street preaching. I might get harassed by Muslims or whatever, yeah. depending on where I am. But if I go to Israel and do it, yeah. uh, it's state law that I cannot evangelize. I'll get arrested and go to jail. Yeah. And she said, How "Well, she I don't deal with that." Well, she said, "Well, that's just their country. That's the fault of the Muslims." I said, "It's the fault of the Muslims that I can't spread the gospel." She's like, "Yeah, because those laws are on the books, so Muslims can't preach in the streets and convert Israel's Israelites to to, to Islam." And I said, well, why is their faith so weak that they're so worried that they're going to be enticed by the message of Islam and, I, and Judaism? I, I said, I, I don't know, but I don't know, man, but this all sounds like crazy propaganda to me. You need to really look into Walid Shabbat. Yeah. I mean, he's even been quoted as saying that it's more important that people so, uh, obey and support Israel as a Christian than it is to actually preach the gospel. You know, and she mm-hmm. said, well, I don't believe any of that. You just you clearly don't know what you're talking about. And, I, and I, I sort of challenged her. I said, well, you want to get into a debate about Bible prophecy? But she was too yeah. fired up about that. Yeah, you hit some sort of sacred stuff. I guess sometimes we all sort of act that yeah. way. Yeah, well, she, and she, made, my, she made the assertion. On during, sure. Even while I've been doing Future Quake. Sure. Yeah. She made the assertion, and we all do from time to time, but she actually made the assertion that there's Sharia law in South, of, in South Nashville, that there's a really? Sharia zone somewhere in South Nashville, and that, you know... And her claim to that was somebody showed up, uh, a Muslim woman showed up who was a victim of domestic violence, and that proved that there was Sharia in South Nashville. Yeah. And I said, that, that that just proves that somebody needs to go to jail. Thank goodness there's no Christian women that get domestic violence against them. Mm. But that's been totally unheard of in our country, you know, until the Muslim assault came. They've introduced this new concept sure. of domestic violence, you know. Well, and speaking about London... Uh, speaking about London, there's been a long-standing, the, the British government currently denies it, but there's been a long-standing agreement that terrorists can 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 work pretty freely in London, uh, and the yeah. MI6 sort of looks the other way. Uh, and, and that's not my opinion. That's yeah. the opinion of... Yeah. Um, well, we've documented so many times with the shoe bomber, all these other kind of people, that our government follows them, in fact, helped them get on the plane, 
follows mm-hmm. them, lets them do that, and they just say they're monitoring them. So yeah. basically they're letting that stuff go on anyway. So that doesn't break my, you know, surprise me at all. Well, there was that guy. He used to be part of the CIA, like a head guy, who got on Fox News, who said the M- that MI6 was protecting, um, I can't remember the guy, but he was the mastermind of the 7-7 bombings. Yeah. MI6 was protecting him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at one point Scotland Yard is out looking for him, and MI6 is protecting the guy. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. uh, that doesn't something that the I don't know all these stories. There's it's just too mm-hmm. it's, it's goofy. Something it's wrong. Revelation 18 stuff. Yeah. Kings much. of the earth and merchants of the earth. Yep. Deceiving all of us basically, mm-hmm. including their own citizens. Uh, we've got time for one more quick story if you want to, or we can go on to the emails. Oh, uh, let's go on to the emails. Go on emails. Got it okay. just a little bit short today. Okay, sounds good to me. I gotta you know I get up at four now, so I gotta. You know, you're you're tiring of me is what you're saying. No, I'm just tiring of being vertical. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you can lay in a supine position here during future quake, you know. Yeah, and then I'll be like the then I'll be like the other co-host. Pyro can give you a chiropractic adjustment. Yeah. Co-host X. It was great to see him this week. Yeah, I uh, like him, man. Brother Doug in Illinois. Uh, this is our emails now we're starting. Mm-hmm. Doug's got an interesting email here. He says... Uh, he says, here's a quick testimony that happened yesterday. Now, this is back at the beginning of June, okay? Yeah. He says, apologies for the length, but it illustrates something seriously wrong in some evangelical churches in America. He says, yesterday morning, I was taking some junk over to my parents who are remodeling and had a dumpster. Now, you're going to find this interesting here, Tom. He mm-hmm. says, a rough-looking couple had pulled up in a beat-up vehicle and asked to take the metal items to a recycling center. My parents agreed and helped set the metal items aside. They had Tennessee plates, and their accents reminded me of you. They said, Sharia law. Well, they said, because we in Illinois don't have accents. You know, which, you know, in some ways, people in Illinois don't. At least outside of Chicago, yeah, they, they do. do. What are you talking about? Not in Chicago. I mean, Chicago, they do. You know, it's not bears. But, you the know, if you, bears. if you get out in the main part of Illinois, everyone talks like this. They're all from Illinois. So that's why they make good TV people. Anyway, he says, I struck up a conversation and asked what brought them to Illinois. This is the kind of stuff I end up doing, you know, talking with whoever. And they said, they had been in Illinois just a few months looking for a new start. This is this couple, you know, in a beat-up car. And were down on their luck and having trouble finding work in our area. She had recently left service in the military, mm-hmm. and he also was a veteran. Okay, his teenage... Sharia law. Sorry. His teenage I, I should, son. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't do that. I'm just I'm tired of that. His teenage son, south of Nashville, had just got his girlfriend pregnant, and the Oops. girlfriend's parents had disowned her. Oh, so man. soon, this couple were heading back to Tennessee to help his son out. He said maybe God was using the pregnancy to bring him closer to his son. I had already resolved to ask if I could pray for them, so I took that cue and asked. He said yes and removed his hat. I asked God to bless their family, the pregnancy, and their finances, and the Holy Spirit came. I mentioned I had some scrap metal taking up space that they could have if they wanted to recycle it also. Mm. About an hour later, they came by and were loading my scrap metal up. I went out and asked if they had considered looking for a church. They said they had talked about it, but everywhere they went, when people saw their tattoos, they kind of looked down on them. I said, that's just the kind of people our church likes. It goes to a vineyard. 
as we have several people with tattoos who come and have met the Lord and that uh, they didn't need to dress up there. She laughed and said that they didn't have any dress clothes, so that was just fine. He said, we're not real high-class people and just couldn't find a church that would accept us. They had visited Baptist and Pentecostal churches, amongst others. I gave them directions to our church and my contact number, and they said they'd be there. After they left, I felt tears come. We live in a mission field. Totally, man. It's tragic that these people, both American veterans, had reached out to evangelical churches in my area. And they slapped their hands. Yep. Churches, no doubt, conservative in their politics, draped with American flags, and no doubt sang hymns to America over Memorial Day. But because of their appearance, they did not welcome two young people looking for God. This guy's sounding like you and me, isn't he? Yeah. Brother Doug. I heard a, I heard a snippet from a... I heard a snippet from a, um, uh, 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 not really a sermon, but somebody, a guest speaker came up and gave a message. Yeah. And then the, the head pastor came up and said, like, well, that's real sweet. Now, you better give to his organization, or I'm going to pray that God send some of you people out onto the mission field. <laughs> and they gave like crazy, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing you'd want to be punished by is to go serve God in the, in yeah. the field. But anyway, uh, Doug finishes here. He says, Later at dinner, when we're counting the story, I discovered something unnerving. It turns out that they had a son who was in my daughter's grade school class. It made my wife, daughter, and I realize how close we are to people who are looking for Jesus, and yet how far they are when we don't reach out to them. I pray that God will help me see people as he sees them and to reach out to those who are not like me, and that he will remove all idols that prevent me from seeing him in all of his glory, grace, and love. Oh, Brother mm-hmm. Doug in Illinois, he's getting her figured out, isn't he? God bless you, Brother Doug. Your your testimony is going to have an impact on other people's old soft-hearted futurians out there. Yeah, I, man. I know it's a lot good of them stuff. are going to meet them. Doug, please keep us posted on where the Lord's taking you. That. This is another great futurian, Brother Vincent. Sweetness. Brother Vincent says... Uh, he says, I've noticed a subject that keeps coming up in some of your podcasts. Why does America exist? Why was it created? I'm not sure if we quite said it that way, but maybe indirectly we have. He says, here are my views. I'm not going to say that you agree with everything, but here it is. He says, I believe America was created for two reasons. Uh, it was for God's purposes and it was for Satan's. He says, one, I believe that God allowed our country to be created because he knew that we were... Um, the greatest hope for sharing the gospel to so many countries and people who desperately needed it. Our country grew faster and more powerful than any other country on earth. We have shaped the world with ideas, with culture, with prosperity. We've become every nation's big brother and are there to lend a hand over and whatever we can. America has given hope to lost and hurting people when no one else could. We have stood up for the impoverished and defended them at a great cost. God allowed the people of this country to invent technologies that the world had never seen. Electricity, telegraph, telephone, computers, microchips, airplanes, combustible engine, etc. Then number two, he says, I also believe that Satan used this momentum to share his own beliefs. We have become the epicenter for spreading false religions and have changed the Bible into another New Age religion. Patriotism has become our new Bible for many people that call themselves Christians. It sounds good and warms the heart. It makes us feel good about the country you live in, yet it is not of God. We invade countries whenever we feel like it. If there is not a good reason, we will make up one. We don't care if they like it or not. We have hmm. turned our fields of plenty into tomorrow's gasoline instead of feeling, feeding those in need. I think he's talking about corn and ethanol. There. Mm-hmm. 
We have turned the ideals and morals we once preached for into a crime of discrimination where free, free speech comes with a price. We've exchanged our inventing nature into channel up or channel down on the remote. Now that we've invented these technologies, it's time for something else or someone else to use them for his own means to bring about something cruel. We believe uh, that cruel is all around us now, that we have no idea what cruel really truly looks and feels like. I can only pray that we're all gone before it comes. I think he's implying that that probably, as they, as what, what was that pastor says, uh, Reverend Wright, the chickens are coming home to roost hmm. in America. And he, he might be sort of right on that one a little bit. Hmm. So that's Brother Vincent. That's his two cents. What do you think about that? Pretty cool. You know, the architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth has almost 50,000 members on its Facebook page. Yeah. That's pretty serious, man. Well, and, those, and they're, they're very credentialed people, too. Yeah, that's, that's like serious. I don't know how that related to that email, but... Well, I just saw it. I got this little ticker thing here. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Sorry, uh, I, I, won't, I won't comment anymore. No, I'll let you to comment on the email. No, actually, that the guy who was one of the spokesmen for that has been on our show, right? And uh suggest people check in our archives for that. 50,000 members. Most of those are people who have... <laughs> He's messing with me, people. Sorry, folks. Hope you enjoyed I'm that. On Hope you enjoyed that moment of quiet from Tom Bionic. Oh, you want to go? Okay, I know fine. I did. Yeah. Okay, here's uh, our avid fisherman friend, uh, brother avid fisherman. Mm-hmm. Okay, he says thank you, brother Mike, for your continued deeper discussion on Sharia law and Muslims a couple of weeks ago. You spoke true and biblically. He says, as you know, I was on the fence with the issues of the history of the spread of the religion and the governments and societies of non-Muslims. And number two, the fact that the powers that uh, may be, according to Albert Pike's World War III scenario, wanted to push Christians against Muslims as the first part of the war. He says, I agree with the points you made. I believe that we should leave it all in God's hands about this and other issues in life. We should just be the best examples of Christians to others that we can be and let our love for all others in a Christ-centered way by a light to the truth of, in Christ and salvation. Our country is headed away from Christ in general regardless, and our allegiance is to follow Christ, not a country, etc. That's because our citizenship's in heaven, right? I would hope so. He says, I thought I would share this with you. Thank you for helping me come off of the fence with all of these issues and concerns. And thank you for a wonderfully done podcast. God bless you and Brother Tom. Mm. Brother Abbott, I sure appreciate that. And, you know, that's the best thing really we can do other than people accepting Christ on our show is when other listeners have the same thing that we've gone through, which is a change of worldview. And it's something that's hopefully more biblically defendable. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the main reasons that we're here. Is, mm-hmm. is, uh, that's the way we feel like we can add fruit to the kingdom. I mean, most of all, we want people to come to a saving faith in Christ. But... Uh, now, um, I referred to this email, um, and I'm and I'm uh, I won't take time to read all of it because it's it's uh, the the attached subject is rather long, but um, this this comes from Brother Dean. Mm-hmm. It says, um, Doctor Future and Thomas Bionicus, I've got a good friend who's also a doctor and is retired early and is involved with a ministry working to reach Muslims. Due to this, he tends to be on the watch for Muslims' news items. He just sent me this, and it's really bizarre. If true as it appears to be, 
that it's very sad indeed. I thought you and Tom might want to see this bit of news due to the disturbing information. Been playing your podcast and other Revelations radio shows at work where other tradesmen are present. I think you'll find this interesting here. Uh, he says, I figure I'll give them something to think about and maybe invoke some discussion, which has happened. While playing Derek's interview with cool. William H. Kennedy, where they were discussing Satanism and abductions, the room where the workers and the working crew work, were working grew quiet, and I could hear that they were trying to work as quietly as possible to hear the discussion. It was pretty cool. Lately, I've been very open about doing this, trying to make the most of my time given to me with what I've been given. Due to your very intelligent, thoughtful way of doing your shows, I feel totally comfortable doing this. Much of what is deemed Christian radio, I'm admittedly am too embarrassed to listen to myself, let alone subject other people to. Well, amen for saying that. Mm, yeah. You know, as as juvenile as our show is, you know, I tell you, a lot of other Christian stuff, I mean, I'd, I'd be embarrassed of what they'd say in front of other people. You know, sure, like man. Brother Dean's saying. Yeah. I know where you're coming from, bro. Um he says, I feel the time is too short. Uh, I lost my too too short to take life frivolously anymore. I need to be sober, alert, and keen to witness in a spirit of love and compassion. Amen, brother. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for helping me, and I'm sure your other listeners in this task. You are equipping us with substance that has long been avoided, played down, dismissed, and neglected by the church. You are boldly going where very few, if any, have gone before. As a fellow spiritual soldier of the cross, I have and will continue to bring you two and the other Revelations radio hosts before the throne of grace, where we have abundant strength and help in every task in his will. And Brother Dean, I sure appreciate that. He says he comes from the great white north. Okay? But he he put an article on here. um, And I'll just see what you think about it. You're going to read it or do I get to read it? There's going to be some little, little... Can I read it? Here, you can read it. Sweet. I wasn't going to read all of it, but I'm just going to read the first little hunk of it. Okay. No, go ahead. But no, you want to? Yeah. I, I, I feel like late. I never participate with the emails. I want to participate. Oh, I want you to participate in the emails. Give your Muslim you woman seeks them. to revive institution of sex slavery. Last week. This was an attached article that Dean yeah, put on. This is from frontpagemagazine.com. Last week, witness popular Muslim preacher Abu Ishaq al-Hawini boast about how Islam allows Muslims to buy and sell conquered infidel women so that when I want a sex slave, I go to the market and pick whichever female I desire and buy her. This week's depraved anachronism comes from a Muslim woman, Salwa al-Mutari, a political activist and former parliamentary candidate for Kuwait's government, no less. She, too, seeks to revive the institution of sex slavery. A brief English report appeared over the weekend in the Kuwait Times, nothing, of course, in the MS mainstream media. Muslim men who fear being seduced or tempted into immoral servitude, or immoral behavior, rather, by the beauty of their female servants, or even those serving servants casting spells on them, would be better to purchase women from an enslaved maid agency for sexual purposes. She, Mutari, suggested that special offices could be set up to provide concubines in the same way as domestic staff recruitment agencies currently provide housemaids. Okay. We want our youth to be protected from adultery, said Al-Mutari, suggesting that these maids could be brought as prisoners of war in war-stricken nations like Chechnya to be sold on later to devout merchants. Uh, the Arabic news site El Arabiya has the sort of details, including a video of Mutari 
uh, addressing the topic. So, yeah, there you have it. Well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you think a plurality of Muslims agree with that? Uh, I know you're not, you know, I mean, you're, you're not an insider in the Muslim community, so take it for well, what it's worth. I mean, but would you, it's a, so your hunch tell you that that's what the majority of Muslims are seeking to do? I think that would be on the extreme end. Um, I would hope so, because if it's not, then we have much bigger problems, because that means they're basically no different than what they were, say, in the 6th century. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have to take all of that. It's not like there aren't extreme Muslims out there, like, sure killing are. other people and stuff. Sure. So. And they're extreme Christians. Yeah. And there's some extreme Jews. Apparently and there's, there's so. people out there yeah. who are militant on the edge that mm-hmm. are doing stuff, and we can always point to some of them mm-hmm. for causing this Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, the I think I think part of the point is that you have to kind of you know, you don't you don't blame the most for what the few do. You know? Well, I don't I don't mean to taint that story. I mean I don't mean to you know, take my my bias and just contort mm-hmm. it to it. I mean honestly your opinion it's good to know about this, okay? Yeah. And no, it's no, good no, to no. know I, to make sure that nothing I think there but, probably are people who want that to happen, but it's a very small minority. But if they're crazy people, you can't stop crazy people from saying crazy things. I know. Look I at wish this we show. could stop Christian. 270 and 9 episodes. Right. Yeah, we're we're testimony to that. Yeah. That's exactly right. But, you know, uh I think the key is if we start seeing laws that are saying that people can have this done to them against their will. Mhm. You know, that <laughs> That's where we've got some real issues. There is no law against people saying crazy stuff. That, t- to my knowledge, it depends on who. What depends on how crazy. Well, if it's against the government, they don't like it. But you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I guess I'm struggling with this because I don't want to totally dismiss the fact that we don't have to maintain some vigilance. What I feel like is that we got to make sure our laws are so strong in keeping religious opportunism out of the the civil sector because civil government by nature is coercive. Mm-hmm. It, it's the tools you use to force your will on other people in behalf of society. When we put religion a part of it, then Christians will actually have to stuff the fear of other Christians because mm-hmm. Christians don't agree on so much. Yeah. Or people who call themselves Christians, they don't agree that's so much. better. So to me, that's a call that we need to make sure that, well, first we need to make our government really, really small and make it sort of a minimal part of our life. But because of that coercive aspect to it that it has to be with our courts and our police and, you know, legislators, that we'd better do to make sure that we don't have any religious group impose their beliefs on other people. Now, out in the public square, we get on our soapbox and we make an appeal, you know, for the gospel and whoever else wants to put their two cents in. And then... Let the Holy Spirit do the whoever so will may come. And there will be a lot that won't come, you know. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit doesn't need the force of government or a sidearm on the side to be able to do the Lord's will for the kingdom. Yeah. And I don't want that. I don't want anybody else to have that either. You know, if any, if any way possible, any other religions too. So enough of that. You got any final words before we bring Mr. Merv in? Oh, uh, just revealed fake Facebook identity used by military contractors plotting to hack progressive organizations. Okay. That's a good one. You're, you know, like you're like the news ticker at the bottom of futureplay.com. I know, yeah, man. Here's this, another one. This just in. Yeah. Of FBI course, it'll be old news. has built a massive network of spies to prevent another domestic attack. Uh, but are they busting terrorist plots or leading them? Another good one. Save that one for a detailed yeah. story. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're listening out to me out there while uh, Brother Tom here is checking the, the wires here at the last minute. Yep. We've got to go, but Merv, I want you to come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, the end of another week, bro. All right, man. Well, thank you for being with us. We got through a lot of stories. Yep. Um, And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we sure appreciate you being with us. Hope we don't get too tedious with you. Um, Had a circumstance with our guest next week. I'm not sure. Going to have to make some other circumstances. I'm not quite sure how things are going to work out next Mm -hmm. week. But going to be out of town this weekend. And either next Tuesday or the following Tuesday, um, when we do our show, I'll give a report on the exciting stuff happening this weekend. Um, But we'll need to call it for today. Mm -hmm. Tom, you just keep hanging in there, brother. Hanging in. And that goes for all our Futurians out there. Don't let those earthquakes knock you down. Don't stand right underneath the Washington uh, Memorial. I recommend you stand out of the way of that. But uh, until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao.